Father, I pray that we would not take for granted the privilege it is to be together in your presence. This is not even possible without Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, because of our idolatry, our worship of self, our own desires, our own ideas, ahead of your own, we have separated ourselves from you. Our sin has separated us from your presence. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his death on the cross, for the Holy Spirit whose presence is promised, where even a couple of us are gathered. So we know that in this room this morning, Father, you are here. Your Holy Spirit is present. We are asking that you would be at work in each of our hearts and lives. Father, help us to be able to shed all of the things that keep us from hearing your voice. Help us to dig out our ears. And I pray that our hearts will be soft and receptive to what you are speaking to us through your truth this morning. May these words be yours, not mine. May your spirit have free reign here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. <clears throat> We are living today in this age, in this culture, when each day is an onslaught of new information. We're bombarded with news, we're bombarded with articles, interviews, blogs, social media posts, telling us everything that we want to know, and more, right? A lot of things that we don't want to know. And we are left in this world, in this day and age, we are left to sort through it all, aren't we? We've got to sort through it and we've got to separate the truth from the lies, the fact from the fiction. Whether it's politics or the current state of the racial tension in our country, or moral issues, whatever it is, there's a lot of people out there trying to tell us what we should be thinking. A lot of people telling us what they think is right. And actually, the same is true in the spiritual realm. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of things that you can read there's a lot of things that you can find. Fire up your computer, open your laptop, wake your smartphone up, and you can Google something and instantly have thousands of articles on that topic. The problem is you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know who's writing them. You don't know if they have a clue what they're talking about or not. When it comes to the truth of Scripture, you don't know if it has anything to do with the reality of God's truth or not. And we have to do the same, don't we? We have to separate the fact from the fiction, the truth from the lies. Sometimes those things are taking away from the truth of Scripture. Sometimes they're adding to the truth of Scripture. And the only way that we can truly know what is right and what is true is to go to God's word itself. 
And that's why when we gather here on Sunday mornings, of primary importance is this time when we take God's word and we open it together to find out what is true. And that's what we're doing in the book of Colossians. If you've been with us the last few weeks, this is the, this is the seventh passage that we're going to look at in the book of Colossians. This is the seventh message in our series, and every time we open the Word together in this series, we're asking ourselves, what does it really mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Because there's a lot of different opinions on that in the world today, too. And every week we are answering this question this way, because I am in Christ... We answer the question in terms of the passage because it is so important for us as Christ followers to be able to have some things that we can hold on to, some pieces of truth that we can lock on to and count on. And so we've been talking about this. Because I am in Christ or because we are in Christ, we pray for each other. Because we are in Christ, we acknowledge that everything is wrapped up in him. Because we are in Christ, we can live holy lives. It is possible. Because we are in Christ, we are servants and we must sacrifice all. Because we are in Christ, we are taking steps toward maturity. And last week we talked about the fact that because we are in Christ, we can stand firm in our faith despite everything that is going on around us. So this morning, as we look at the seventh passage, we're going to answer that question this way. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, because we are in Christ, we are free. Now, what does that mean, that we are free? What does that entail? What does it involve? What are we free from? Well, let's see what the scripture has to say. In Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 16, and then we'll take a few minutes to look at it together. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity in the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, we just read through this passage very quickly. It's easy to get confused. What is he talking about? Festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and asceticism and all this kind. What does that mean? I want to break it down for you, try to break it down very simply this morning and see that really Paul is talking about the fact that we are free in Christ 
from three specific things, and they were problems for the Colossians 2,000 years ago, and they can be problems for us here today as well. First of all, he says, we are free from legalism in those first couple of verses. Now, legalism is a religion of human achievement. Legalism says Jesus plus following man-made rules equals holiness and spirituality. Okay? The key word of legalism is conformity. Okay? You have to be like this. You have to do these things and you cannot do these other things in order to be holy, in order to be spiritual, in order to be a Christ follower. Okay? Now when he refers to those things in that verse 16, when we read that and he talks about new moons and festivals and Sabbaths, he's referring to the old Jewish system. You remember that most of these people that Paul was writing to were Jews and they had been brought up living in this kind of system where they had all of these rules. Remember that? Do you familiar, any of you, with the Old Testament, with the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, where we have all these things that they had to do, all these washings and all these rituals and all these sacrifices? That's what he's referring to. And the Jews had to do those things in order to be holy in order for God to be pleased. But what they weren't realizing was that all of those things were just a picture. Verse 17 says that the purpose of all of this was to give them a picture of Christ. One of the things that they had to do when they sinned, when there was sin in the family, the father of the family had to go out to the sheepfold and he had to get a lamb. He had to get the most perfect lamb he could find, one that was pure white, that didn't have any blemishes on it, it didn't have any sicknesses, any illnesses, any diseases, and they had to go and sacrifice that lamb on an altar. They had to kill it to pay for their sin. That was a picture of Jesus Christ who the New Testament calls the perfect Lamb of God who gave his life for our sin. And all of those things in the Old Testament were all pictures of Christ and what he would do. Now because God gave them all of those rules and asked them to follow them, they were good. But once Jesus came, they didn't need all those things anymore. Right? Does that make sense? You understand where we're going? The other 200 of you, I saw three of you say, okay. You understand where we're going here? So all of these things are a picture. So once Christ was here and Christ was standing in front of them and Christ went to the cross and he gave his life as forgiveness for their sin, once he shed his blood, why are we sacrificing lambs? Why are we doing all these ritual cleansings? Christ has cleansed us from our sin. We don't need that anymore. There's no need to look at the picture when you have the real thing right there, right? It would be just like us hopping in the car after the service and taking a road trip. 2,700 miles to Arizona and Grand Canyon National Park. 
I Googled it. It's 2,744 miles from my house at 32 Clearview Drive, South Paris, to Grand Canyon National Park. It would be just like us driving all the way across the country, getting to Grand Canyon National Park, getting out of the car, walking to the rim of the canyon, and then guess what? Reaching into your pocket and pulling out your iPhone and Googling the Grand Canyon and flipping through pictures of the Grand Canyon on your phone while you stood right there in front of it. That's exactly what it would be like. That's exactly what it is like, Paul says, for us to submit ourselves to all these rules and regulations, trying to please God, trying to make ourselves clean. Don't do that anymore, Paul says. You're free. You're free from legalism. You're free from these rules. Following the law, my friends, never saved anyone. Didn't save them then, and it doesn't save us now. True spirituality is not about conformity to external rules. It's about an internal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, secondly, he says, we're not only free from legalism, but we're free from mysticism. Mysticism is, is a religion of deeper experiences. Mysticism says, well, we have Jesus, but if we also have special dreams and visions and experiences, that equals spirituality and holiness. And the key word of mysticism is experiences. This happened to me. I had this vision. I had this dream. And this is what happened. And God spoke to me and God told me this or he did that. Or I was in this place and this just happened. This feeling came over me and this happened. Now, Friends, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit does not come upon us, that he does not move us to do what he wants us to do. But here's the problem. When things that we experience become more important than the truth of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ in our lives, then that is a problem. That is mysticism. And what happens is when we overemphasize these things that happen in our lives and they don't happen to someone else, then we look at them and we say, well, how come that's not happening to you? You must not be as spiritual as I am. And that happens. And there are churches in particular where that is heavily emphasized. You have to have this experience if you're going to be truly spiritual, if you're going to be truly holy. And Paul says... No, no, that's adding to the truth, to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He says there in that verse, don't let anyone disqualify you insisting on worship of angels. People are fascinated with angels. I've heard so many people say, I, I had this dream and this angel appeared to me and this angel told me to do this or do that. And, and, and it becomes, when it becomes too important, we overemphasize those things. It is as if we are worshiping those experiences because we're making them so important and so critical. 
Whenever we see angels in the Bible, do you know what they say? And do you know what they do? They say, we're servants. We're servants of the Most High God. Isaiah 6 is probably one of the most vivid descriptions of angels in the whole Bible. Isaiah said, my goodness, I looked up and there were these angels and they had six wings and they were flying around, but you know what they were doing? They were covering their faces and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They were worshiping God. In Revelation 19, the apostle John is writing the book of Revelation and an angel is giving him this information and he's describing Christ and describing everything that Christ is going to do in the future when he comes back. And John is so overwhelmed by it that in, in Revelation 19 it says, he falls on his face to worship the angel. And you know what the angel said? The angel said, get up, get up. I'm a servant just like you are. Worship God. My friends, we need to be fascinated with Christ. Be fascinated with him. In him and through him and by him are all things. That's what Tim taught us a few weeks ago from Colossians 1. Be fascinated with Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul is talking in those verses that we just read a minute ago, he said the whole problem is that they are not holding on to the head. That is Christ. And when we do hold on to Christ, then we experience, as Paul says, a growth that is from God. True growth. True life change. True maturity. Tom said a couple of weeks ago that we need to be continually taking steps toward maturity. And that true growth only comes from God. We are fascinated with Jesus Christ and not all of these other peripheral things. True spirituality is not based on what we feel or experience. It is based on the universal truth of Scripture. Well, here's the third thing. We are free from asceticism. Asceticism is a big word that simply means self-denial. Asceticism is a religion of self-denial. It says that Jesus plus denying ourselves equals spirituality and holiness. And the key word of asceticism is is self-deprivation. If I keep myself from doing that, if I keep myself from doing this, if I don't allow myself this enjoyment or this pleasure or this, in, this joy, then that makes me more spiritual. We, Tom and I were talking about this yesterday. We were walking and he made a good observation. He said, you know, we don't really do asceticism here in the U.S. too much. <laughs> we don't deny ourselves too much. But in some countries and some religions, they do. And certainly Christ calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to deny ourselves and serve others, but we're not to do it in an attempt to gain spirituality. We don't deny ourselves and sacrifice so that we'll be holy. Deny ourselves and sacrifice because we are God's servants and we care about other people. 
The problem with this path, Paul says here in the passage, is it focuses on temporary physical things, things that perish, and it focuses on ourselves and what we do, and it appears spiritual. Here's the problem, guys. Here's the real problem with all of this. Is it looks spiritual. And it draws attention to ourselves. Now there are commands in God's word that tell us that there are appropriate times to fast. Fasting is depriving yourself of food in order to focus your attention on God at a specific point in your life, if there's a specific thing happening, to focus on prayer, to focus on Christ. And that is good and right and proper. And someday we should talk about that so you understand a little bit more what that means because we're commanded to do it occasionally. But even when he was talking about that in the Gospels, do you know what Jesus said? He said, don't fast like the Pharisees because you know what they do? They mope around. Whoo, feeling it, haven't eaten for two days, getting spiritual over here. I tell you, I do whatever God wants me to do. That's why I look a little bedraggled, not really myself. Jesus said, don't do that. You know what Jesus told the disciples? He said, when you fast... Go into your room, clean yourself up, get yourself dressed, and go out and live your life like a normal person. Don't draw attention to yourself. And your Father, who knows all things, will reward you in secret. That's the problem with all this, guys. It draws attention to ourselves. It's false humility. Because true spirituality is not based on physical deprivation. It's based on internal change through Christ. Paul says at the very end of that passage that we read a few minutes ago, these things have an appearance. They have an appearance of wisdom. But they're of no value in changing the flesh. You see, because you are in Christ, you are free. Walking with Christ, taking steps toward maturity and holiness is not about conformity to rules. It's not about having special experiences. It's not about living a life of deprivation. It's about holding fast to Christ. And growing with a growth that only comes from God. I want to pause here for just a second. Because there are a lot of principles in the scripture about freedom and our freedom in Christ. And I want to just give a little disclaimer here because we don't have time to spend an hour talking about all of these principles that freedom in Christ does not mean, hey, I can go do anything I want because I love Jesus. That's not what freedom in Christ is. 
There are principles that God gives us that help us to guide. Well, if we don't have to follow all these rules and regulations, then how do we know what to do? How do we know what we can do and can't do? Well, there are principles in the Scripture in the New Testament, such as this one, glorify God in everything you say and do. You're free in Christ, my friends. You're free. You don't have to follow regulations and guidelines and rules and stipulations and all of those things, but you do need to make sure you're glorifying God in everything that you do. So is whatever it is that you're doing glorifying to God. Secondly, it's the Apostle Paul who says this in the book of Romans. In our freedom and everything that we do, we need to make sure that we don't cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble. We need to be careful that we're not hurting and offending each other in what we do in enjoying our freedom. He also says in the book of Galatians that we need to develop the character trait of self-control. We are free in Christ. You know my favorite one of the guidelines that he says we don't have to worry about is do not taste. Don't have to worry about that one. No restrictions for my eating. But I'm also commanded to develop the discipline of self-control. I can't indulge my appetite any way I want, at any time I want, in any amount I want, because that's not showing self-control. And related to that, Paul also reminds us that we need in our freedom to remember that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. How am I treating this body that he gave me? These principles aren't meant to restrict us. They're meant to guide us in the freedom that God has given so that we can enjoy it and enjoy the life that he has given to us. When you put a fence around your children's playground, you're not trying to keep them from having fun, are you? What are you trying to do when you put the fence around your kid's playground? What are you trying to do? Keep them safe. And what you're saying is, children... This area is yours, and within this area, you are free. You are free to play. You are free to run. You are free to dance. You are free to enjoy everything that is here. By the way, it's the same reason why they put guardrails on the highway. We could go out on the road and look at the guardrail and say, Look at that! Killjoy! They don't want us to have fun! What if I want to drive over there where that is? It's not to restrict your fun, friends. It's to keep you away from the edge where it drops 50 feet into the rock so that you don't die. And in the same way, God gives us this wonderful freedom, this life to enjoy. A few weeks ago, we looked at John 8. Do you remember that? <clears throat> And Christ was talking to the disciples and he said, if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. And we live our lives and we say, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. And, and by the way, this is what you should do and what you should not do. And those are lies from the father of lies, also in John 8, who is Satan. Jesus says, when you know the truth, it will set you free. 
And then in John 10, Jesus told the disciples, guys, listen, I've come so that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Christ saved us to be free, not to enslave us. And this is about holding fast to Christ. This is about allowing him to change us from the inside out because we cannot generate freedom and holiness by our own efforts. 75 years ago when Europe was being torn apart by a world war, the Nazi regime set up concentration camps all over Austria and Poland and the surrounding nations, Czechoslovakia. And many of them had signs like this one at Dachau. It said, Arbeit macht frei. Work makes free. And as they herded the Jews into these camps, they told them that they would only have to be there for a little while. And if they worked hard, they could earn their freedom and the freedom of their families. And guess what? That was a lie. It was a lie then, and it's a lie today. Work does not make free. Only Christ makes free. This is not about what you can do. This is about Jesus Christ wants to do in you because he is the one that really matters. The only thing that really matters is Christ, what he says, and what he does in our hearts and lives. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not, but every other religion, every other system of faith in the entire world is based on what we do. There's a set of rules set of things that need to be done and if you do them you're accepted or you're good or you're right biblical Christianity is the only one that says this is not about you this is about Christ it's not about what you can bring to the table it's about what Christ has already done on the cross and what he wants to do in your life and my friends if we could only grasp that there is tremendous freedom there to enjoy what God has given us. And you know what else I think when I think about that? I think we have an opportunity here. There are enough of us, by God's grace, living in his strength to make a difference in this community. He wants to use us. There is a whole region of people right around us right now in these communities all over the Oxford Hills that are not enjoying any freedom in their lives. They think they are sometimes. They think they do. And, and you may have been at this point at one place in your life where you thought you were free. I can do whatever I want. I'm my own person. I steer my own ship. I determine my own destiny. And you think that's freedom, but what you find out is it's not. You become a slave. You become a slave to those things. 
It's only in Christ that we're free. And we have the opportunity not only to live in that ourselves and enjoy what God has given us in anticipation of what he has in store for us, which is far greater, but we have the opportunity to share that with other people, this community. And that's my prayer. That's my hope. And I trust that it's yours too. Together, we can do that. Together, God wants to use us to impact people's lives and to show them this freedom. Are you free? If you're free, you need to share it with other people. You need to let them know how to find it too. And it's only in Christ with a growth that comes only from God. Father, I pray that you will help us this morning. For those of us that have this relationship with you, that are walking with you, that are, uh, that are taking steps toward maturity, to stand firm in our faith and to live in this freedom that we find in Christ. Not freedom to do whatever we want, but guided by these principles of glorifying you. using our bodies to honor you. And we pray for your impact, the impact of your spirit in this community to all those who live around us who are not free, maybe some that think they are but are not. May you do your work in their hearts and lives, open their eyes to the truth, and may we be careful sharers of the truth, of the freedom of Christ. We know the truth and it has set us free. Help us to share it with others that they too may enjoy this freedom. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sufficiency. Thank you that all that we need is found in him. I pray that we will live our lives that way, that we would live with open hands, willing to sacrifice what you have given us for the sake of those around us, to always put ourselves last and others first, to serve and not look to be served. Thank you so much for this time, this place to meet this morning. I pray that you would just give us courage as we go out to live what we know and what we believe. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. I hope you have a great week.